When Apple announced the new iPad Pro would come equipped with the same Apple Silicon M1 processor that the company is currently using in its latest Macs, it took everyone by surprise. What is the iPad going to do with all of that horsepower? That's the question on everyone's mind. Well, we might not have to wait much longer to find out. I'm Jason Cipriani with Jason Perlow, and on this episode of Jason Squared, we're going to talk about the 2021 iPad Pro, iPad OS 15, and what the future holds for Apple's leading tablet. All right, Perlow, you and I have both been using the, these tablets, the new iPad Pro. I know you got yours late last week. How's it going so far? Um, I like it a lot. It's super fast, extremely responsive. I mean, it's not like the previous model was unresponsive, yeah. but this one, it was just that much more agile feeling, you know, like no lag, no, none of that, you know, just, just not that even on the, on the, on the apps, which I thought that, that, that were tend to be more laggy because of the way they were coded, um, yeah. don't feel that way anymore. At yeah, all. so there's I mean, there. I agree with you. It's an impressively fast device, and and it's improved performance across the board. And there's a few main highlights of the new iPad, as with you know any new Apple product. One of those is the new Liquid Retina XDR display. Basically, they oh, yeah. took their six thousand dollar display that is you know it looks beautiful, very high color uh, accuracy, and they shrunk it down into what it's basically a mini LED display that's 12.9 inches. And this is only on the 12.9 inch model. And they slapped it into this tablet and it it's a very good display. But when it comes to the screen, what do you think about it? So one of the things that I noticed immediately um, is that when you use it in the dark or in low light with the brightness turned down a lot, okay, uh, it feels like it's a bit sharper than the previous model. Uh, now I have to do that because I use the iPad in bed uh, when my and my wife is sleeping, and she doesn't like it when I have the brightness turned up too high. So I actually, you know, tune it down to a point where I can see the content, but it's not yeah. like shining super bright, right? So there's less glare on this display overall, um, and I have not experienced um, any of those blooming effects that some users have reported. Um, so overall, I think it's a great display. I really like it. Now, kind of not really related to the display issue, um, but how this thing feels in the hand. The extra thickness on this one is definitely noticeable, as is the additional weight. Um, it was already a pretty heavy tablet, and now it's even heavier when I have a minimal case on it. So yeah, I mean, I mean, when you hold it, it it's got some, it feels hefty, very hefty. Yeah, there's definitely some um, heft to it. It's interesting um, that you you can tell that it's extra, you know, have, there's a difference in thickness. It's only 0.5 millimeters difference. And it's a direct result of the display technology that they're using in it, that the display or that the thickness is, has increased. So like I said, it's like 0.5 millimeters. It's not much, but the fact that you could tell, I mean, that's interesting to me. I couldn't tell the difference. I had a couple accessories that were no longer compatible because of that half millimeter gain in thickness. But other than that, I didn't really notice that it was, you know, any bigger. I did notice that it was heavier, but I didn't notice the thickness. And as far as that blooming you were talking about, I saw the day the tablet was set to arrive, uh, you know, officially launch a lot of reports on Reddit of blooming and, and the way the display looked at the edges, especially I have not 
experienced this myself either. Uh, maybe it was just a couple, you know, a, f a few of the first batch that came out that had it, but I, it seems to be quieting down now and I, I don't see as many reports on it anymore. As for the display and what I think about it, you know, the only way, and I said this in my review on ZDNet, the only way I can describe it to someone is obviously the HDR content when you're watching video just looks yeah. downright amazing. And that's the easiest way to tell the difference between the 2018 or the 2020 model iPad Pro is to watch some video. But in day-to-day -day use and routine use, I the way I describe it is the first time you made the switch from a non-retina device that Apple made, whether it was an iPhone, iPad, or a MacBook, or even an iMac, to a retina display where everything is a little bit crisper, everything is a little bit sharper, the saturation is a little bit better. That's that's what the jump to this display is like as well. And But again, once you get into videos and even photos, that's when it really truly shines. I mean, I think it looks great. Uh, this is the, the first time Apple has openly talked about how much RAM, how much memory is in these tablets. The mm -hmm. one terabyte and bigger models have 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah, thanks to that M M1 chip. Uh, under one terabyte, you're looking at eight gigs of RAM, which is still higher than the previous max out, which yeah. on the 2020 model was six gigs. Have you seen a difference because of the increased RAM? You have an eight gig model, right? You have a yes. So I'm I'm interested. I have not used an eight gig model. I have a one terabyte review device from Apple, so I don't see apps closing themselves in the background. I don't see Safari tabs having to reload when I go back to them. What's your experience been like? I haven't seen Safari tabs reload or apps, you know, close in the background or anything like that. Um, I, I I have not seen. I have not felt it run out of resources with any of the apps that I've been using. That's interesting. You know, uh, yeah. So Apple is limiting iPad apps to five gigs of memory access at one time. So they can't even fully take advantage no. of this, right? So if you go into like Pixelmator, Pixelmator Photos, whatever, you know, or Luna Fusion to edit video, you're, you're capped out at five of those eight or 16 gigs of memory. And I assume it's to keep system resources and processes running in the background. And hopefully, and we'll get to this more in just a few minutes, iPadOS 15 changes that and increases the limit for them. So I guess let's let's take a minute and dive into what you and I use our iPads for, because we have, I believe, very different use cases for the iPad Pro. So what what's your use case for the iPad? What common tasks, apps, activities, sure. et cetera, do you go through? No, I mean, honestly, Jason, uh, you know, the iPad Pro 12.9, is probably overkill for someone like myself. Um, I Someone like me could certainly get away with the iPad Air, which is plenty fast and will do all the things I need to do it for tablet use. Um, yeah. But the 12.9 is the model I've been using for the last four years with that 12.9 inch display because I really like the big screen. You know, when you reach 50 years old, Jason, um, <laughs> yeah. um, your eyes aren't as good as they used to be. Okay. And, you know, you need the ability to crank fonts up, you know, and zoom in and, and stuff like that. You know, when I, I go out, you know, with my wife for dinner and I, I look at like, you know, menus, I mean, I'm pulling the menu, like, you know, you do, you're doing this, this focuses thing, thing when you're pulling that menu in and out and you're trying to get a sharp look at the text. Um, you, I mean, I don't want to have to do that, you know, with the computer display, right? I want to be able to zoom in, see the, see what I need, see all the content that I need, not have to page up and down so many times to accommodate for that for a smaller screen size. You know, that's why I love the iPad Pro. 
Um, now, I primarily use it for web browsing, uh, reading eBooks and other content, uh, you know, reading content, uh, and for watching movies and light gaming, right? Uh, but this time, um, I got the 5G model. So I can travel nice. with this as my primary computer. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be going on vacation with it, uh, you know, in a couple of days. And I'll be testing a few different keyboards with it so that I can do writing and other business tasks with it. Um, in the past, I've never really tried to use an iPad as a primary work computer, right, to produce writing. Um, it's always been a secondary device, mostly for off hours, light work, content review, you know, and recreational use. Yeah, so I think your use case is probably the standard use case for most iPad users. Uh, maybe not iPad Pro users, but iPad users in general, right? It's a yeah. entertainment device with a light work uh, activities on it, if at all, which is, is standard, and that's what the iPad Pro or iPad line is designed yeah. for. My use case is it's my number one computer. Uh, I've worked primarily on iPad since the original iPad Air. Uh, so it's been, a, you know, a, a decade, almost a decade worth of working on an iPad. And, you know, I've that's ebbed and flowed, admittedly. There's been times where iPad OS, or at the time it was called iOS, was just too frustrating to use. Um, and there were shortfalls. And, you know, I'd go back to a Mac. Obviously, I still have a Mac. I use my Mac to record podcasts, uh, use 3D printer. You know, there's some stuff that I still have to go back to a Mac for. It's not a 100% solution, but... You know, I write on it, I edit video, I edit photos, I program Raspberry Pis from it. You know, I do quite a bit from it, and it is truly my primary computer, hands down. Most of the time when I'm working on it and I'm at home, it's connected to an external monitor with a Bluetooth keyboard and a Magic Trackpad 2, which is a good setup, but it's not ideal, only because of the way the iPad supports uh, an external display right now. But, you know, I, so it's interesting that your use case is so much different than mine, and I enjoy the, the different perspective from it, which I think is going to be an interesting part of us addressing the elephant in the room that is iPad OS. And more specifically, with the M1 processor and all this memory and Apple admitting the, how much memory is in, in the iPad Pro now, the iPad is clearly overpowered. Uh, it, hands down, it's overpowered. And so now yeah. we have WWDC starting on June 7th. That's the opening keynote. Apple's going to talk iOS 15, iPad OS 15, and all the other software uh, operating systems that they run iPadOS 15 has a lot of anticipation on it and it needs to be a big upgrade. What do you what are you hoping for? What do you think? So, you know, Jason, it very much feels like you bought one of those super fast, ultra expensive versions of the Tesla Model S, you know, <laughs> with the Plaid Plus series upgrade with the three engines, 1100 horsepower, right? And you can right. only drive it 55, 65, 75 miles an hour on the highway. Never even get it close to track speed, which is like, what, 200 miles an hour? <laughs> we, we, we know that the M1 chip, okay, is capable of so much more than the apps that we are running on iPadOS now because it's the same exact chip in the latest generation MacBook Pros, right? Right. So, so we know that Apple could not have possibly put this chip in this device with the intention of limiting it just to the apps that we have on it now. You know, it must have some other plans 
in store for it, right? So let yeah. me let me just kind of give you sort of a, a, an analogy, a historical analogy to this. So you know, for me, um, the upper end iPad Pro and the iPad Air as well have totally outgrown the operating system. Okay, I think we're at the point in this product's evolution where we need a total redesign of the way the operating system works for those of us using it as our primary machine or for heavy work production tasks. Now, uh, I've been in this industry a bit longer than you have. This kind of reminds me uh, when Microsoft reached Windows XP, okay, which was a 32-bit operating system. Uh, the PC hardware at the time was so far ahead of what those systems at the time were capable of. Uh, of. They had 64-bit processors, uh, lots of cores, lots of memory, and a very fast I/O bus. And by the way, you know, apps at the time were limited to four gig of RAM. Sounds sounds familiar, right? Yep. So they had to go through an exercise at the time uh, to make major kernel and also interface improvements. Um, and it took them a while because XP hung out for a very long time after its introduction. Now, what they ended up having to go through after that was three generations of redesign before they got that combination right. So they went through Windows Vista, they went through Windows 7, which finally had good 64-bit versions, and they're able to support more advanced graphics cards and, and, and bigger apps, right? The apps with more memory. That, that's what sure. they were able to do. Um, Windows 8 and Windows 10 got us to where we are today with new programming methods, APIs, to run entirely new types of applications that could ditch legacy code and use more modern programming languages, right? Again, sounds more familiar. In a sense, I think this is kind of where we are with iPad, right? We're, we're at the Windows XP or Windows Vista transition phase, okay, where the hardware is considerably ahead of the curve and our apps are coming from a legacy iOS, iPadOS library. Now, we're over 10 years in with the iPad as an Apple product. We need a better multitask environment, okay? And I yes. think we also need to give programmers richer APIs so they can take better advantage of the hardware. And that is the news I believe that we're going to get next week. Now, I also feel the user interface in general is starting to look long in the tooth on an iPad, okay? The real estate with the icons on the home screen, especially this 12.9 screen with this really high resolution, it feels like a lot of wasted space, and I think we can make better use of the real estate, okay? Certainly having the widgets on the screen would help, but Apple could have implemented this when they did this on an iPhone in iOS 14, right? We, we, they didn't do it on the iPad, even though they did it on the iPhone. So they must have had something else planned for, for iPad OS 15, like they wanted to leapfrog the development. They didn't want to waste their time on it, right? So it's possible we may see some interesting changes to the UX next week. Now, another thing that's a bit pet me for me is multi-user, right? These are expensive $1,200, $1,300, close to $2,000 machines now, if you if you completely crank them up. Um, yeah. I think iPads would be able, should be able to be shared with multiple people. 100%. If, if, if not in a family environment, in a work group environment, let's say you work for like an architecture firm, right? And you need to, to or to swap, the, to swap these between engineers, need to pick one up if they go out in the field, right? They're not necessarily going to be issued uh, a two thousand dollar iPad for you know personal design work, right? They're gonna they're maybe a couple of these in a firm with you have like 20, 30 people in a firm and they need to go out. Well, you want to be able to go out to the field without having to to re to reimage it and reset it up each time for uh, each each user or use a shared account, right? You want to be able to to log in with with corporate accounts and things like that. So I think we're we need to see that as well when we were talking really pro. It needs to have the kind of features we see in a workstation operating system in many respects, which we don't have.
Here's here's the crazy thing, Perlo. Apple already does this, but okay. it's limited to education. Schools. Interesting. I didn't know that. So schools have the education sector has multi-user support where teacher or the district, the school district, IT department can go in and provision an iPad uh, to have multi-user support for a classroom and students can sign into that iPad using their school issued Apple ID and it provisions all the apps that they need. Um, and they're able to share iPads through a classroom using multi-user support. It's been out. I don't, I don't remember exactly when it was released three or four years. It's been a while. They know it could be done. They're, they've been doing it. They've refined it several times. I mean, they had an iPad launch event at a school in Chicago that I attended where they did demonstrations for an hour on these features. Like, you know, this isn't something that they're just kind of doing under the radar. They actively are promoting it and touting it in the education environment. And so why it hasn't made it its way into an official official iOS release, either enterprise or just consumer, boggles my mind. And it's something, it's like the the low-hanging fruit of what Apple needs to add to iPad OS, right? And I, and I wrote a, a very long, very wordy list of what I wish iPad OS is 15 is going to bring. And I broke it down into the low-hanging fruit and the pie in the sky features. And the low-hanging fruit features that I want that Apple should have added already or would be easy for Apple to add is first one, multi-user support. The second mm -hmm. One is widgets on the home screen, but that also is, it parlays into the pie in the sky feature because I think the home screen needs to be redone entirely. Yeah. Pie in the sky stuff would be, you know, putting folders on the home screen so yep. I can quickly access documents, whether those documents are in my iCloud drive or those documents are stored in Microsoft Word as a enterprise document that I'm collaborating on with another user. Um, and also the, the files app is, it was great yeah. when it was first added, but it's oversimplistic and there's a lot of stuff you just can't do. And it needs a huge upgrade in general, like batch renaming of files. You can't do it in the files app. And if you can, I have not been able to figure it out since it launched a couple of years ago. And, and there's no easy way to interact with enterprise file servers either, whether it's on the cloud or if it's in a, in a data center, right? I mean, if you're, if you, if you got an iPad pro and you're dealing with large files, I mean, if we had, if you had to put on like an architectural design app, right? If you moved it from the Mac and you and you said, okay, now you can use the full blown version on the iPad Pro. How would you interact yeah. with those file systems? You would, I would know how to do that currently. I mean, they they need they need something that can talk to, you know, file servers. You know, and, the, and predominantly file servers out there are are, are Windows servers. Yeah, right. There is a so, way I to mean, add file servers to the Files app. But one, if you don't know it's there, obviously it's not that easily discoverable. And when I have used it, it's been really hit or miss, really flaky on whether or not it refreshes what's on the server. It's just, it's not that great of an implementation. Now documents, the documents five app from Readle, which also makes like Spark Mail yeah. and a few other iOS and iPad apps. Uh, it's honestly, it's what the files app should be. That's what I had um, to get to, to, to get around some of these issues in corporate environments before yeah, exactly. the Readle app. Yeah. And so I think the other thing, pie in the sky type of stuff here is, and you've already kind of talked about it, is we need pro apps on the iPad Pro. And whether or not that means Apple reverses the Mac Catalyst program and it becomes an iPad Catalyst program that allows Mac developers to easily port their 
Mac apps to the iPad and convert it to touch, right? Because that's the big yep. thing. Mac apps aren't optimized for touch at all. No, no. Um, and so that's a huge issue that needs to be addressed. And if there is an automated system, much like Apple released Mac Catalyst, that allowed iPad app developers to bring over the same exact code to the Mac with very little work on their part, and it was optimized for mouse and pointer and clicking and no touch, if they reverse that and allow us to run Mac apps on the iPad, I think that'll be a huge boost. Start with Xcode as yeah. the, look, I know not everyone uses Xcode, but if developers hear that Xcode or even Logic Pro have made their way to the iPad, the Mac version have made their way to the iPad, developers are gonna jump on board and check this out and see what they can do now with this M1 powered iPad Pro. That's the key. It's, it's the I, same I processor. And the, the biggest problem that developers have, Jason, is, is the level of effort it takes to maintain multiple code bases simultaneously, right? So right. you have to keep an iPhone code base, uh, an iPad code base, and now do we have an iPad Pro code base? Or are we saying, or is the objective at some point to say, oh, okay, the code base is Catalyst, whether it's iPhone, iPad, or iPad Pro, which will have you know higher levels of memory and more cores and all that kind of stuff. Um, and can, can, can we put stuff into the code so that it, it behaves differently, whether it's on one device or on the other, or are we gonna have a, a, a code base that's unified that we maintain on, on our repository server? And when we compile it, right, whatever flags we use, it, 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 gets, it gets targeted to a specific device and then in the yeah. app store handles what device takes it. Whatever way it has to work, the developer should not have to worry about tracking code changes between platforms like that and then and then potentially forking it and then having to worry about oh we have to move this over from this version in the next version because now we haven't synchronized the bug changes and all that stuff is hell to a developer it sure. slows down the developer process it makes it very difficult to debug code um so apple needs to inject some sanity into this now right are we going to have three different types of, of device uh, profiles or are we going to have one device profile that that one one development profile three targets that are handled by the app store. I don't, I don't know the answer, right? Me but either. we need, we, we need, we need to, they need to figure out and say, okay, this is what the, the, this is, this is what the Bible says. The This is the new Bible. Everybody right. here, to, everybody here to the 10 commandments. And this is how it's going to work. Right. I mean, I mean, that's, that's what we need. We just haven't gotten that, that direction yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. we get that on June 7th. And I agree with you hundred percent. We, Apple doesn't need to make this more complicated for developers. It should be making this easier for developers overall. Um, and I think if Catalyst expands, right, that hopefully that's the streamlining of it. And it's not going to yeah. be in one year. When no. Apple announced Catalyst, it was a two-year process to get to the point it's at today. And there's still improvements that developers are asking for on the program. I think we're going to see the very early version of whatever Apple's calling this. I hope we're going to see it uh, going from Mac to iPad. I really, truly hope that's what we see. But then it won't be till, you know, WWDC 22 or 23 that we really see this all kind of come together into one cohesive, simple interface for developers to use and code for and, you know, go from there, which this kind of stuff takes time. There's a lot of apps out there that have been worked on for many years and getting them all to switch over to Swift and, you know, well, Catalyst. There's also the political issues of, well, how how are they going to incentivize developers to move 
the apps the catalyst. Because if we look at some of the biggest developers, they have not done that. I mean, Google has not done that. Facebook has not done that. Um, for as far as I could tell, Microsoft has not done that with 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 their with their apps. They've developed a separate code. Microsoft has developed a separate code base. Facebook has developed a separate code base on iPad. Google has developed a separate code base on iPad and have not catalyzed to uh, Apple Silicon. So, yeah. so, so because of, I believe, of, of ad network related issues and being able to control that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering, are we going to see app tracking transparency on, on Mac soon? You know, I hope and, so. And, and, uh, and then, and then, you know, you know, the, you know, we can, uh, it's a question of, of what, what, what are, what are these developers going to get by catalyzing the apps? Are they going right. to, or, or, you know, or, or is it better for them to keep it in, inside a web browser because they, they can, they can control the, the ad networks and stuff. This is where that stuff, this stuff gets, you know, it's not a technical issue. It's a, it's a, it's a, does it make sense for us to do this issue? Is it going to reduce our profitability right. and visibility into users data and all that kind of stuff? It's right? a revenue issue. Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. Right. Um, so let's, let's talk external monitor support right now. Ah. It is, it is iffy at best. And what I mean by that, granted, I use it daily. So I, I know what's going on and I enjoy it because the iPad screen is bigger than the 12.9 inch. You know, I could use it on a 4k display and it works great. Um, the problem is it mirrors my iPad's display. So I basically, whatever is on my iPad is on the display and there's black bars on each side of it. And so it, it's letterboxed. Some apps can optimize to take advantage of the full screen, but they're hit or miss. Uh, even Apple's own apps are like the Photos app, for example. If you edit a photo or open a photo to look at it, your external monitor goes full screen, but right. you lose all your all your buttons, you lose any interaction, and then you have to end up looking back at your iPad and it's just not an ideal experience. So um, true external monitor support in clamshell or as two different monitors with the iPad Pro and your external monitors serving up their own home screen and apps yeah. would be ideal. Um, I have a few other things on here. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing because it is quite long. You can go I, to ZDNet.com and find it. Yeah, I think that um, the, the external monitor thing is interesting because, uh, you know, I haven't tried to plug my iPad Pro yet into my dock yet. I just haven't done it because it's been a busy week or so. I'll be doing writing stuff. I didn't want to disconnect my whole apparatus. Um, but I think, is, isn't this the same kind of issue that the, the MacBook Pro silicons have where you cannot use multiple external screens simultaneously because of some type of software limitation? I'm wondering if that is some kernel work or driver work they need to do on Apple Silicon to to make this work across app uh, MacBook Pro and 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 the new iPad Pro at the same time, like maybe they want to deploy it simultaneously when they get it. Yeah, done. I'm not sure. I know the the M1 Max uh, can only support one external monitor, but as yeah. far as the M1 iPad Pro, nothing has changed in how it works since 2016. Like this this M1 right. Mac iPad Pro works the same way the A12 iPad Pro worked, you know, a few right. years ago. There's no difference. So, but it's got yeah, it's got the but it's got the same Thunderbolt port that the MacBook Pro does. So, so their bus the bus technology is identical. I mean, right. to, yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't I don't know what the what the issue has been for these last few years, but look, the power's there now. At least for true external monitor support, forget multiple monitors. Yeah. I don't need a letterbox display mirrored of my iPad. No, I, that would let, suck. Let me yeah. do, <laughs> let me do everything yeah. else, you know, and multitasking, like you said, in the home screen, both of those items 
also need a total revamp. I, the rebirth of multitasking on the iPad is desperately needed. Uh, it's it's I can get around quite easily on iPad, but that's because I use it every day and I've learned the nuances of slide over and split view and how to access this and that and spotlight. I hate that. I I don't even bother with that. Yeah, and see, and it's until you actually force yourself to live with it and use it routinely, it is frustrating to use and there's a huge learning curve. So it's time to rethink that. Um, I don't know exactly how they can rethink it, but it's time to make sure it happens and make at least make sure it's more discoverable and user-friendly for the end users. Maybe there's, maybe it needs like a tab interface, like, like, like the whole, the whole home screen is a giant web browser view and you have tabs. You can, you can flip through, through multiple, you know, this, this, you know, between your screen, your apps or or even, you know, or, no. Borrow one of the Max features where you, when you view your, what is it, expose, you have your desktops at yeah. the top of the screen. You know, you view all your open apps in one windowed look. I don't want windows on iPad Pro. I, I no, don't want win- no, no, windowed no, apps. No, 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 no. But I would like to be able to maybe pull down a drawer that has desktops or app pairs or app combinations on the top so I could easily switch between stuff. And I could even pin those app combinations just like Android has had for several years now and bounce between those apps. You know, they allow multiple instances of the same apps that support it now. Slack, for whatever reason, does not support it and it drives me nuts. But Mm. like this is just little stuff that they can do that would go a long way in in improving the overall experience on iPad. Good news is June 7th is only a few days away. Yep. We'll, We'll see a preview and then also the first developer beta typically launches as soon as the keynote ends and uh, you know, then people start diving in and testing it. So we're less than a week away from actually using iPad OS 15 if you're brave enough to install and deal with the bugs. Uh, any closing thoughts, Perlo, before we finish this? No, Jason, I'm going on vacation on Thursday. So, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'll be watching this, you know, keynote from afar. Uh, you know, and um, you know, I'll be, I'll be sipping my margaritas on, you know, watching it on my iPad Pro. Um, and seeing how it goes, I, I really hope that you know I, Apple is is bold with this particular. I hope this is a big uh, you know uh, platform improvement yeah. kind of cycle. Uh, I hope this is the the XP to uh, the Windows 10 you know uh, level change that we're that we're hoping for um, for iPad. It it really needs it at this point. It's 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 outgrown its training wheels for sure. Yeah, I I agree with you 100. percent I don't think there's been bigger expectations set on an iPad OS announcement and release ever than what we have here with iPad OS 15. And in my opinion, it was done on purpose by Apple by specifically deciding to name the processor, the M1 processor in the iPad Pro. They could have, by all rights, named it A15, A14, whatever, you know, A14Z, X. They could have used the A-series name like they always have in the iPad Pro and expectations would not have been wait, that's the same processor that's in a Mac. Why can't we have these features on an iPad? And I think they set up that expectation on purpose because they have something huge for us. Maybe it's wishful thinking on my part. I don't know, but I'm really, really hoping we see some big things from Apple. And instead of the software catching up and the hardware going ahead and then the software catching up, we now see those two things for the iPad move forward together down the road. Like I said, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part. Yep. Well, you know, we'll see. I'm, 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 I think, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised. I'm not, I I, I don't think this has not been the last two years 
where Apple has been setting us up for disappointment. They, when it comes to this type of this this core technology stuff, they've gotten it right or exceeded our expectations. So I I, I think I think I think we're out for for a good one this time. I hope so. Well, I hope you enjoy your vacation and your margaritas, and you're able to tune into WWDC and not get disappointed. Yep. I'm Jason Cipriani, and I'm Jason Perlo. And this is Jason Squared. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Make sure to check out more of our work like the iPadOS 15 wishlist at ZDNet.com. 